We hear that word and we envision something without conflict. Peace involves that, but there's so much more. Peace is a restored state of wholeness. The birth of Jesus announces the arrival of peace, and the death of Jesus creates peace with God. And when the angels proclaim peace on earth, the shepherds heard what our hearts long to hear, that God is indeed restoring all of it to his original and glorious purposes. So may we experience that kind of peace. It's an invitation for every person, and it's here now because Jesus is here now. This is peace. Welcome to Christmas. Well, good morning, everyone. As I dismiss our kids for the last time in 2022, I want to welcome you to our last Sunday of Advent. So kids, you can head out that way. And as we're in the last Sunday of Advent, you can guess where we are. We are looking at peace. Peace today, and the reason why it is the last Sunday of Advent is because next week, as Advent is all about the coming, or waiting, and the arrival, next week the arrival is here as we celebrate Christmas. Well, I want to encourage you to be a part of our Christmas service next week. It will be online, but we would love to have you in person as we praise Jesus for coming to earth and becoming a man so he could live for us. Today... As we get started, I would love for you to have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 5. That's the passage that Pastor Bruce just read. And we're going to be bouncing around to a handful of passages today. But I feel like in all of my study this week that this passage, those first two verses that Pastor Bruce read, are the ones that, they're the ones that set up the foundation for our talk this morning, but really the talk for our lives. They talk for our lives. So let me read it again in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says these words. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, while this isn't exactly a Christmas passage, it tells us the result of Christmas. It tells us exactly what happened when Jesus came. He brought peace. We have peace with God, and we have the peace of God through Jesus Christ. I can close in prayer right here, right now, because that is good news. And you guys be like, hey, let's get to the business meeting. That sounds great. Um, Here's what it says. As we look at that, I don't want to get into all of the details of the books of Romans, but I'm going to cover it in about 30 seconds, the first couple of chapters. As you look at the short, Paul lays out for us in the first three chapters of Romans that we are in a miserable condition, that we are far from God. He actually opens up following this welcome with these verses, some verses that that I hold on to tightly, but it's Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says these words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek or also to the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now that sets the stage for him to say these next words. You can't do it on your own. 
You are unable. You are twisted. You are broken. You are unrighteous. As a matter of fact, he calls it straight to them in Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. And there's no one who does what is good, not even one. That's the condition we find ourselves in. As a matter of fact, we even find it worse when you know the Romans road. The next verse is 3.23. Romans 3.23, you probably heard it. But for all have sinned. All being all. All being all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then he goes into chapter 4. Chapter 4 is all about Abraham. And how great Abraham was. He's speaking specifically to the Jews. You guys know how great Abraham was, but it wasn't his works that saved him. It was the righteousness of God being put on him that saved him. And he goes through the entire chapter 4 explaining that, wrapping up with the last verse of chapter 4, which is verse 25. He says, He was delivered up, He being Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Leading to that word that I've already read. Therefore, Therefore, you find out what it's there for. It's there for to justify, to show, to take a pit stop because he's already kind of laid out all of the, the terrible news. He says, therefore, because Jesus was raised and he was justified, raised for our justification, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is amazing news. That is an amazing promise. It's an amazing promise for each and every one of us to hold on to as we live our lives. But here is the real question that I want to dive into this morning. If Jesus came to bring you peace with God, do you have this peace today? Do you? I'm asking you individually, do you have the peace that Jesus brings between us and God Because he came and lived and died. Because the truth is, when it comes to Christmas, there are certain thoughts and expectations that surround us during this season. Books, movies, and traditions of the holidays promise things can be made right and they can be made complete through the magic of this season. That completeness will then bring you peace. That's what the world's going to tell you. Think about just about any holiday classic or if you're those people that sit around and watch Hallmark movies. Any Hallmark movie will tell you this very fact. That in the end, all is going to come together. And things are going to be made right and made complete, bringing us peace in our lives. Think about this. Ralphie, in the end, he gets that baby gun. It brings him peace and broken glasses. Clark... He gets that bonus check. George gets the money. Scrooge becomes generous. Rudolph saves the day. Buddy restores a right relationship with his dad. Frosty melts and dies. (laughs) But he will be back again someday. It's all there. These are the things we are told. And as our minds are, are literally inundated with all of these thoughts and all of these expectations our hearts become desperate for the peace that we read and the peace that we see and the peace of those movies but unlike the fictional characters that we see in the books and movies the peace we dream about it eludes us I went out yesterday that was a bad idea because the Saturday before the Saturday of Christmas weekend is not when you go hang out because people are just a little bit on the crazy side the peace is not there 
The peace that is eluding them. They think if I just get the right gift, it will bring peace. If I just do the right thing. Expectation, though, doesn't meet reality. That, that's where we find ourselves. Here's a problem. The problem lies in our definitions. All four of the topics of Advent, which have been hope and joy and love and peace. Each one of those four things, the world has a different definition than God does. The world has a temporary and, unfortunately, ever-evolving definition of those four words. And Jesus says this, it's me. It is Him. The world's going to say this world definition of hope, and here's what it is. Jesus says, no, 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 it's me. You're going to hear the same thing with love. Jesus says, nope, it's me. The world's going to tell you a definition of what joy is. Jesus says, nope, it's me. The world's going to tell you what a definition of peace is. Jesus says, nope, it's me. See, these are the things that the world longs for, especially in this season. These are the things that they want. And they may get a, a taste of one or even all, but it's very temporary. They may taste the hope. and may taste the peace. and may taste, taste the joy and, and the love, but it's all temporary. The everlasting hope and the everlasting love and the everlasting joy and the everlasting peace can't be found in the thing the world has to offer. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. As Isaiah 9 has talked about, as we've been bouncing around with that throughout our Advent season, he says, He is the Prince of Peace. That is who Jesus is. That is the peace that we need, the peace with God and the peace of God. The peace that was, is mentioned here is the same peace that is mentioned well over 300 times throughout Scriptures. The peace that we can have. See, we have to remember that the Bible is His story. And the theme of hope and love and joy and peace, they weave throughout from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. They're there. They're, they're there. They're there for us to see and us to hold on to. And if you want to see peace, man, I just grabbed a couple of scriptures out. The first one I found was in the book of Numbers. I know that's one that a lot of us hang out in. You guys are always reading Numbers, so you probably know this. Actually, you probably know it because Carrie Job sung it about 10,000 times on the radio since the pandemic. It's called the Blessing. And that blessing was a priestly blessing straight from Romans chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, when it says this, May the Lord bless you and protect you. Or may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you what? Peace. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You will keep the mind. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. God, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Then he says, trust in the Lord forever, because in the Lord, the Lord himself, is he is an everlasting rock. Jump to the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Pastor Bruce read those last week. He said, don't worry about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests of God. And then guess what's going to happen? Guess what the result of chapter or verse 6 is going to be? And the peace of God will be on you. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's going to guard your hearts and it's going to guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Those are powerful verses and there's a connection with each and every one of them. All the way back from Numbers, all the way to Philippians, and all the way into Revelation. And the answer is found in this question. What is peace? See, peace is Jesus Christ. It is found in God. The Hebrew word for peace is one you may know. It's shalom. 
The reason why I know shalom is because I did a VBS when I was in high school and I was a leader. And that year was all about Jerusalem and we had a song called Shalom. And it still sticks in my head today. It's probably the reason why I'm not the hugest fan of VBS because those songs, they just don't leave. It's rattle, rattle. I, I want other things to be in there. But no, I think about shalom all the time. We say shalom when we greet each other every day. That's the lyrics of the song that was 30 years ago, and they're still in there, you know. That, that, that's the truth of it all. Shalom was a customary greeting in Judaism. For day-to-day people, it communicated a blessing of, of wealth and health and prosperity on the person that you were greeting. But you know, the, the sad part is, we tend to take words and we lessen them to fit us. Shalom means so much more than just prosperity or health and wealth. As a matter of fact, the deeper, wider definition of shalom means complete wholeness. Complete wholeness. Being one. Being in perfect harmony. One of the things I read about shalom even this week is this. The best description is it was the Garden of Eden before the fall. It was original blessing before original sin. It's the restoration of all things because it was broken because of original sin. We spent the good first half of the year looking at the book of Revelation. What do we see by the end? We see harmony of creation restored. We see no more curse. We see no more pain. We see no more tears. And there's only going to be peace. Within the definition of that complete wholeness, There's something else we see. It's relational harmony. Shalom is relational harmony. It's relational harmony in four dimensions. Dimension number one is God. Dimension number two is self. Dimension number three is others. And dimension number four is creation. And this is where we find ourselves today. The best way, I think, to show this is through a a diagram. And I'd like for you to see it. You are in the center. Very rarely are you going to ever hear me say that you are in the center. But you are in the center of this diagram. And how you relate to each one of those things going out affects all of the others. It affects all of the others. First, it starts with God, our true north. If you know anything about a compass, if you're on true north, you're in the right direction. But if you get off just a little bit, it's going to skew everything else. And that's the reason why I mentioned Him first. Then it's self, then it's others, then it's creation. And here's what we need to understand. If you want to have true shalom, it starts with God. It starts with God. So let's start with God because He's first. He's the reason that we exist. He's the reason for our being. That is who He is and how we see Him and how we relate to Him. It literally affects every other aspect of our lives. And we'll talk more about that, by the way, in January. As we talk into why we do what we do, and it all comes down to because God is who He is. The Westminster Catechism actually nails it when it says this in its first tenet. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If you and I are in line with that, there is peace between us and God. When we are glorifying Him and lifting Him up and enjoying Him, we will be at peace. But if we get off of that, man, we can get messed up. Because God specifically says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, with all your everything. But if we don't do that, and we have some other God before Him, which is breaking the first commandment, we are going to be all jacked up. And everything else is going to be jacked up in the process. Here's the the thing that I, I came to realize. That song, Come Thou Fount, 
probably one of my, my favorite hymns. But it says in there, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How often do we wander? How often do we get off just a little bit? Then it skews everything else. Because when we're not in right relationship with God, we're not going to be in right relationship with ourselves. We're not going to be in right relationship with others. And we're definitely not going to be in right relationship with His creation. It's all going to get twisted. Because instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, we seek out little g-gods to give us hope and to give us peace and to give us love and to give us joy. And then we come to this weird realization that those little g-gods, they don't provide. So we try and love them more and seek them more and trust them more than the Lord God Almighty and everything gets jacked. That's why we broke our rules today. We don't normally sing two new songs on a Sunday. I try not to overwhelm you going, what What are we singing? So we kind of all sit down and be like, hey, we've sung this one. Maybe they know that. That Jairus song, maybe you don't even know what it is. If you listen to K-Love, they play it often. As a matter of fact, the first time I ever heard it, I thought they were saying dry rub. And I'm like, really, if you're a Texas barbecue fan, dry rub is enough. So it fit. It fit in that. You don't need all the sauces. And that's what I thought they were actually saying. But he's saying, Jira, you are enough. Jira is the name given to God as the great provider. Jehovah Jira is the great provider. He is more than enough. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, because, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. My grace is sufficient for you, he says to us. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. But this is, goes back to our question. Do you believe it? Are we at peace with that today? Do we trust in Him to be our great provider that He is enough? Because if we don't, that's when we start to drift from true north and try to go after the things that we think will provide for us. We think that things will, will hold us up and lift us up when really it doesn't. We'll have these false gods with false expectations and all the people and places and things that we can think of and they all let us down. See, the peace we seek starts with our true view of God. A.W. Tozer says it this way, A low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. What is your view of God? See, that's the first dimension of shalom. And it affects everything else. If we don't get that right first, everything else will be out of whack as well. Because your view and relationship with God will directly affect the second thing, self. Self. The peace of God on that vertical relationship will affect the peace of God of God that is inside of us. The peace with God will affect the peace of God. If you're out of whack with God, do you ever just feel that heavy weight inside of you? When you've done something and you, we'll just say, refuse to confess it, and it just weighs on you because that peace with God is now messed up. The peace of God doesn't resist or doesn't reside inside of your soul. Our relationship with ourselves gets all out of whack. And our relationship with God, it, it leads to idol issues. If we're out of whack with Him, and those idol issues will then become identity issues with us. We'll find our identity in something other than God. 
You know, one of the things that I've come to realize, and you've probably seen the statistics as well, but for whatever reason, between Thanksgiving and Christmas is the highest rate of suicide. And I think part of the reason why is because we have these idle issues thinking these things are going to provide for us, and then they don't. They let us down. Those people let us down. Those places let us down. The vacations let us down. The, the things let us down. All of those things let us down. And then we have an identity issue as if we are not enough. That song said, I am enough because you are enough. Because you cared enough. See, when we aren't in a right relationship with God and have that shalom, it's going to lead to one of these two false identities. Either it's going to be pride or false humility. It, It all stems from failing to understand who we are in Christ. Either living above the authority we have been given by God as one of His children, or we live below it. We either see ourselves as self-righteous or on the flip side, we see ourselves as unlovable, ashamed, and unredeemable. But either way, we think that God is not enough. Our, Our lives live that out. And it starts with that wrong view of God. It pours into our wrong view of self. As it pours into our wrong view of self, it spills over into our wrong view of others. Our third dimension of shalom is being in a right relationship with others. If you can't see God for who He is, and you can't see yourself for who you are because of Him, you're not going to see people right outside of yourself either. How will we see them the way God sees them if we can't even see ourselves the way God sees ourselves? We need to understand peace with God spiritually leads to a peace of God in our soul, which then leads to a peace with others relationally, and even if you want to expand on that, evangelistically evangelistically because when we don't you know what happens when we don't see them right when we don't see ourselves right we don't see God right we will cancel somebody because they're not like us we will cut people off that don't think like us they don't live like us they don't vote like us they don't talk like us we will push them away if they don't look the same way or act the same way we do but from what I understand from reading the Bible That's not the ethic a Christian is supposed to operate by. I believe we're supposed to operate with empathy, with forgiveness, and I'm going to emphasize the word biblical love. We're supposed to be like Christ. Christ who put on flesh and came to become one of us. He died for us, but even before he died for us, he lived with us and lived like us. He wanted to be one of us. He wanted to feel the feelings that we have. He wanted to experience the hurt that we have so he could know us better. And then he died for our sins as a sacrifice on that cross. And, and while on that cross, what happened? While he was dying, the people he was dying for were hurling insults and mocking him. And yet, what did he do? Father, forgive them. He forgave them. He set the example. See, when we live in the presence of God's amazing grace, when we experience the freedom we have in Christ, when our chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, He's ransomed me. When I think about those, I'm no longer at war with God. I am forgiven. I'm set free. When I am no longer at war with God, I am at peace, and therefore I can Share that peace with others. And and live that peace out. See, we need to realize they need Jesus and His forgiveness just as much as we do. 
But how are they going to hear it if we don't tell them? They need that evangelism part. Like I said, it's not just relational, it's evangelism. See, when you're in right relationship with God, which leads to right relationship with yourself, you're going to see others and treat others the way that we're supposed to. You'll have compassion for them. You'll have compassion in their situation. You'll see their spiritual need and you will try and help them fill it. That is where we'll find ourselves, which leads really to that fourth dimension of creation. Now that may sound strange, but I did read for you John 1 a few weeks ago when it said all things are created through Him and they are all created with a purpose. And that purpose work together, functionally in harmony, all for the glory of God. But because of the fall, things don't happen that way. Because of the fall, everything's out of whack. And when we are out of whack in the other three areas, I believe it reveals itself here in how we live with and live within God's creation. I think that's where we find ourselves. And the problem arises when one of two things happens. One, going back to that book of Romans that I covered in 30 seconds, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 says, we exchange the glory of God for images and idols of creation. We lift it up where we bow down to the almighty created thing, the almighty dollar, and we put our trust in horses and chariots instead of our trust in God Almighty. Or two, we misuse and abuse and even elevate what God has called us to steward. We struggle with this idea of the creator versus the creation. What do we worship? See, it all goes back to starting with God. He is the true north. And if you want true peace, you have to start with Him. If you do not have a right relationship with Him, today is the day. Today is the day to get into that right relationship with Him. Because, like I said up front, the world is going to give you all sorts of definitions of what peace is going to bring you. But peace is not as much of an emotion as it is a person. And that person, his name is Jesus. That is where you are going to find peace. That is the way we will experience shalom. It's being in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus, again, he gives. He is the definition of peace. He is the definition of hope. He is the definition of joy. And he is the definition of love. He is that constant definition in a world that is constantly evolving these weird, chaotic definitions out there to try and throw us off. See, Jesus is shalom incarnate. He put on flesh. He is peace in the flesh. He is shalom for us. You want to see it in action? Just look throughout the Gospels. Just look throughout the Gospels. Right here, right up front, Luke chapter 2. We've read it all three of the weeks so far. Luke chapter 2, the angel comes and he says, Glory to God in the highest. What are the next words? Peace on earth and... Goodwill to men, or at least in mine, it says, goodwill to the people that he favors. Jesus brings peace between man and God with that announcement. Woman in Mark chapter 5 talked about her as well. Outcast from society, has this bleeding disorder for 12 years, suffered for 12 years. She reaches, she waddles through the crowd, gets all the way through, reaches out, grabs Jesus's robe in the process he says oh my power has left me who is it turns out it is this woman she touched jesus she is healed and jesus says to her in verse 34 of mark chapter 5 daughter which is the only time he uses that term in all of the gospels at least as it's recorded showing this intimate relationship between him and her he says daughter your faith has saved you, you know what the next three words he says are go in peace 
Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. I just want to just stop and think about that for just a second. How much peace has come over her because she was healed? Think of the ways that she was outcast. First of all, she's bleeding constantly. There's got to be a physical healing that takes place. A physical peace that takes place. Then the emotional toll that comes on it all because she can't fix it. And there's just emotion that comes with it. There's now an emotional peace. There's a spiritual peace that comes with it because she's now in a right relationship with that daughter. There's a relational peace because she's no longer outcast. She can fit in with other people. Jesus brings peace. Luke chapter 7, a woman. As a matter of fact, Luke describes her as a sinner. A sinner breaks up a religious party to meet and worship Jesus. She washes his feet with her hair and her tears. And then she has this alabaster jar of perfume, which is the main focus of the story for the religious people, how much is worth. She breaks it and she anoints the feet of Jesus. And Jesus restores her dignity. And he forgives her sins, which then becomes a whole other issue. But that is where it all starts at, that right relationship with God. He forgives her sins. It says the same thing he said to the woman in Mark chapter 5 with that bleeding disorder. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Imagine the peace that comes with being forgiven of your past. Of all the things that you've done, all the dumb things you've done have now been made clean because of Jesus. The perfect storm in Mark chapter 4. The wind's howling, the waves are crashing over the beat. Uh, the, <coughs> excuse me. They're, they're crashing over the boat. Disciples are freaking out. What's Jesus doing? You got to know the story. He's sleeping. He's at peace. Disciples are freaking out. They're waking him up. They're like, don't you care that we're going to die? And all the time, they're, how long have they been with Jesus at this point in time? How long have they seen all the things that he does and the way that he speaks and, and the power that he has? But you know, in the middle of a crisis... That's when we question him, isn't it? Even though we've seen all the things that he does and we've heard all the things that he said, in the middle of a crisis, that's when we question him. That's the reason why deconstruction is such a big word right now among so many evangelicals. I just don't get it because God's people are so terrible. Well, we're not worshiping God's people. We're not following God's people. We're following God himself. And we see it in this story. They're all freaking out and Jesus stands up on the edge of the boat he calms the winds. He says to the waves these words. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. See, there's situations in our lives where the weather is less than ideal. The wind is blowing. The waves are crashing. The relationship is falling apart. The sickness is taking over. The situation is tense. Our minds race. We begin to question Jesus. And he stands with us. And he says, peace, be still. He brought peace. may not be the way we want it, but He calms our overwhelmed hearts. We realize no matter what, He is with us, and indeed, He does care. And that peace not only affects us, it affects those that are close to us. See, Martin Luther King Jr. used to say this. He said, you can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. A thermometer tells the temperature of the room. A thermostat dictates it. You can be somebody who just tells the temperature of the room if it's not peaceful. Or you can be the one who is the thermostat who brings the peace of Jesus into it. 
What are you? A thermometer or a thermostat? The final one I want to point out is in John chapter 20 in the Gospels. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples who had been locked in a room because they feared for their lives. They were afraid of what was going to happen, and Jesus says these words, Peace be with you, and peace to you. Both of them. And then he says, I'm sending you out. Don't be locked in this room. I'm sending you out. And I'm not just sending you out by yourself, though. I'm sending you with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, this is John's uh, adaptation of the Great Commission we find at the end of Matthew. He says this. He basically says, you know, it's not just God for you anymore. It's not just God with you anymore. Now it is God in you. And I'm sending you out to do my work. Be filled with the Spirit to do His work. When we are filled with the Spirit, we are at peace. Shalom. So much to soak in when it looks at peace. But how about some application to wrap it up? How do you find peace right now, this holiday season? In every season of our lives, I'm going to give you really four things. One is obey God's Word. Obey God's Word. There's three points within this one. First one is this. Submit yourself to God. James tells us. Submit yourself to God. Flee from the devil. Draw near to God. And you will have that peace. See, we've got to get the junk out of our hearts. We've got to get the junk out of our heads to have that right relationship with Him. Well, that comes from what John says in 1 John chapter 1 when he says, confess your sin. Confess your sin. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That deception is going to lead to a wrong relationship with Christ. But if we confess our sins, in verse 9, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and, we clean, and to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Verse 10 says, If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. See, sin breaks the connection between us and God. Either we confess it, and lay it out there or we repress it and we try and hold it down as if nobody cares and God doesn't know I heard someone say this though repression leads to depression repression leads to depression and it's true when we are mired in sin man we can get to beat ourselves up and forget there is a God who loves us enough to send his son to die for each and every sin that we have confess it to him and He will bring us that righteousness. When you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit convict you, don't repress it. Because if we confess it, if we hear the Holy Spirit speak then, then we'll also hear the Holy Spirit when He's speaking to comfort us in the midst of all the struggles that we have. So the first one is, is submit yourself to God. The second one is confess your sins. Third one is, is forgive your enemy. Forgive your enemy. That's what Jesus says. We talked about what James said. We talked about what John said. This is Jesus saying it. Forgive your enemy. Last year on our big road trip that we went across the country, we listened to Louis Giglio's book. It's called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And it was one where if you give the enemy an inch, he's going to dominate the conversation. He's going to be playing in your head. So you've got to get rid of the jealousy. You've got to get rid of the bitterness. You've got to get rid of the judgment and the judgmentalism, that peace with God, that shalom with God will spill over into a shalom with others. Because if you give those little things and don't forgive, they will 
destroy your shalom. We drift. We drift. We go away from God. We go towards those idols. You know what the last verse of 1 John is? The very last verse, the very last verse of that letter that he wrote is this. Children, be on guard against idols. Be on guard against idols. That's the last thing he tells us in that verse. Why? Because those are the things that are going to disrupt our shalom. So our first is, is obey His Word. The second thing that we need to see here is this. It is to focus on His presence. That's what Advent's all about. Shifting our focus back to who He is and what He has done. Peace isn't just about the absence of evil, but it's also about being in the presence of God. That's where the world gets it wrong. They don't want the evil, but they also don't want God, so it's not going to happen. Third thing is, is trust God's purposes. Trust God's purposes. Jaira, you are enough. It's that simple. Trust His purposes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding, but instead, all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and guess what He's going to do? He's going to make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The last one is, is this. It's sing God's praises. Sing God's praises. I'm going to invite the band up here. If you guys don't mind coming up. Because in the place of perfect peace, there'll be no more pain or no more hurt or no more disease or no more death. Heaven, we have a picture of what it's going to look like in Revelation. As a band comes up, I want to give you a picture of the throne. Found in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. It says, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, also of living creatures and of the elders. Their numbers were countless, countless thousands upon thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, guess what they said? Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them say this, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. When we gather together in here today, we get to experience just a small piece of that shalom. That is why we sing songs on a Sunday morning in case you ever wonder. You know, people outside go, well, how do you guys get together and hear a TED Talk and sing songs at the same time? What's that all about? We are praising our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. And today we're going to sing a second new song. It's by a guy by the name of Jordan St. Cyr. And it's called, The Wait is Over. It's a fact that Jesus came. I'm just going to read the words to you. And and I want you to think about it. I would love for you to sing them as we go into it. But it says this, the faintest spark, a tiny glimmer, heaven's light in a manger. God with us, praise Emmanuel. Death now knew its days were numbered. Darkness shook. The angels thundered. Peace on earth. Praise Emmanuel. So we sing glory, glory, glory in the highest. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. He shall reign forevermore. The King has come. The wait is over. Glory, glory, glory in the highest.